Welcome back to the official podcast of North Park Church. This week is week five of our current message series, Crossroads, all about the journey to the cross. This week, we're talking about baptism, what it is, and why we still celebrate it today. We hope this message encourages you, makes you think, and also helps in your journey to become a lifelong follower of Jesus. So last week, we gave out little invite cards. Uh, And if you did not get an invite card, one of two things happened. Either my children did not guilt you into taking one, uh, especially they do a great job passing those things out, um, or you just didn't get one. And so we want every person here today to take at least one card with them uh, when they leave, and we want you to invite somebody to Easter service. Now that is not a groundbreaking idea. Every church uh, is, is doing that and has been doing that for many years. But what I want to address today is there is a, there's a little bit of anxiety that comes with inviting somebody to church in general. Now, I want to let you know that pastors face a different kind of anxiety when it comes to Easter. Uh, my wife, Ashley, and I pastored a church in Vero Beach for five years uh, before coming to North Park. And I remember being a youth pastor and associate pastor and thinking, man, to preach on Easter must be the greatest Uh, Actually, preaching on Easter is very scary, and here's why. Because everybody expects there to be a big crowd, and a lot of people are going to come, and they already know the subject that you're preaching on. you got to talk about the resurrection. And so all of a sudden, you feel all of this pressure. And I remember talking to my dad, and I'm like, Dad, I'm nervous. What if nobody shows up? And he's like, everybody shows up on Easter. He said, everybody comes on Easter. I said, yeah, but what if I'm the church where everybody goes to their mom's or their grandma's church for Easter and nobody's there Easter Sunday, right? And uh, I was just scared to death of it. And I remember that feeling of kind of adding that pressure to the church to invite people for Easter. And I know what happens, right? You get that card and some of you, depending on kind of your, your personality, uh, you love to, to hand those out. They used to have the cards and they would say, just put them at the gas pump. We're not going to do that this year. Um, the gas pump brings up a lot of emotions uh, and anger. And so don't, don't leave it at the gas pump unless you're going to pay for somebody's gas uh, instead of sending your kid to college. And so you, you could invite them that way. Um, but we want this card. And, and it got me thinking, this idea of inviting somebody to church. Or let's take it a step further. This idea of sharing our story. This idea of sharing God's story, the gospel, is something we know is so vitally important, and yet it's something that is absolutely terrifying at the same time. Um, I don't know if you guys remember World's Finest Chocolate. World's Finest Chocolate um, was the kind of big fundraiser when I was a kid, and what they would do at our schools is they would bring all the kids into the auditorium like this, And they would bring this man who was like a motivational speaker slash magician slash con artist. And he would bring all the kids in. And there would be bicycles. There would be uh, big stuffed teddy bears. There would be all sorts of this, just this amazing display of stuff. And he would say, if you sell this many candy bars, you can get this. And if you sell this many candy bars, and he's wearing like a gold glitter jacket. And he's like, and if you sell this many, and they'd bring out this bike. And people were like, oh, it was amazing. And then he would tell everybody, all right, children, you're going to go sell these candy bars. And what would happen is your child would not tell you about the candy bars, or you would forget about the candy bars, and then you would end up having to buy all the candy bars yourself. And the reason why is because they looked at your child and they said, if you sell candy bars, 
We're going to have a day with inflatables and candy and movies. But if you don't, we're going to lock you in a classroom so dark that we'll never find you again. And they scare your children, and so they want to sell these candy bars. And I remember we had to sell them not just for myself, but for my sister. And my dad was a meat uh, cutter. He was the head meat cutter at a Winn-Dixie. And so Winn-Dixie allowed us to sell these bars outside of their store. And I remember this feeling of being scared to death. I was scared to death because I had this candy bar in my hand and I was holding it so tight, it was like mushy and it was melting. And I was so afraid someone was going to ask me a question about the candy bar that I didn't know. And I was so afraid of being rejected and I felt like all the pressure was on my ability to make this sale. And then I remember my, my dad or mom, somebody giving me the idea that wait, the chocolate is good. It sells itself. You just need to be there to be a part and play your part. And all of a sudden, my hand got loose. And I, man, I was like slinging it. I was just selling them like crazy. I was just, I wanted the bike. I didn't get the bike. I sold them for my sister. And uh, she got, I think she got the bike or a teddy bear or something. All of a sudden, the tension went away. And here's the reality. When it comes to sharing our faith, it feels a lot like selling those chocolate bars. We're afraid if our presentation's not perfect, if we don't know all the facts and information perfectly, we will not make what we consider the sell. And, and recently, there's a, a great book called The Burnout Society. And he's, the author says, feelings of insecurity, inferiority, and fear of failure are the hallmarks of our society. He says, never before, because of technology, we are absolutely locked in. We have reminders. We have, you can put something in your calendar, and then your calendar will, will connect to the map and remind you of where you need to be and how you need to get there and where the traffic will be. And he says, we feel this pressure to be successful because we know we have more tools than we've ever had before. But along with that comes this feeling of insecurity and the fear of failure. And you have this feeling at work, you have this feeling in your marriage, you have this feeling as a parent, and you also have this feeling as a disciple of Jesus. And so when it comes to sharing our faith, this fear of failure, this fear of what if they ask a question that I don't know? What if I can't defend the Trinity? What if I can't explain everything right? And so what happens is we go into fear mode and we just kind of shut down. As if God's whole plan is based on our ability to be smooth salespeople. And I love what Charles Swindoll says. He says, being an effective witness for Christ is neither easy or natural. So let's all just breathe for a minute and acknowledge this elephant in the room. It's not easy and it's not natural. Now I will say this. Some people have a gift of evangelism. Some people are really great at bringing it into their conversation. But if you show me someone who's really great at sharing their story and, 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 and evangelism, it's someone who has put in time, but there's something that you don't see. It's someone who has opened themselves up to the Holy Spirit leading and guiding them and giving God permission to mess up their day. 
Swindoll goes on to say this. He says, God knows that. He knows it's not easy. He knows sharing our faith isn't natural. He understood the problem so well that he instructed the followers of Christ to remain still until they received divine power to help them. Really, read it. He tells them. They're like, okay, I think we got some ideas. And he's like, don't go anywhere. Don't say a word. Don't try to explain. Don't preach a sermon. Don't host a seminar. Don't print any flyers. Don't say anything, especially you, Simon Peter. Don't say anything until... Spirit comes. And somehow I missed that part. Somehow evangelism became something that certain people are good at, and that's just not my thing. And I'll be nice when the people come to church, but this idea of inviting somebody, and let's be honest, inviting somebody is a great thing. But you know, when Jesus tells us what he wants us to do to make disciples who make disciples, he was talking about us having the ability and maybe inviting the church is that first step, but the ability to share your story and to share God's story. I mean, that's, that's for everybody. And so what do we do with this kind of tension? Well, Swindoll says the Holy Spirit comes in in a really powerful way. And so today we're going to be in Acts chapter 8, and we're going to look at this story verse by verse. And we're going to see two individuals who could not be more different and we're going to see someone's life so inconvenienced just so they can share the gospel message. But here's what we're going to see. These two people are so different. And where they meet is so out of the way that if our friend Philip in the story was not open and willing to the Spirit of God leading him, this encounter would have never happened. Here's what you're going to see in this story. It's going to be so easy for Philip because the guy's literally going to be reading a story that's about Jesus, and he's going to say, who is this? And then the guy's going to say, how can I be, or what is in the way of me being baptized? Could you imagine that if you went into work tomorrow, and you show up at your cubicle, and you're like, hey, Dave, and Dave's like, what must I do to be saved? Right? You'd be like, well, Dave, I'm a little uncomfortable. It's 8.15 in the morning. I'm going to need you to back up a little bit. But, but here's the thing. Is evangelism so hard? Because maybe you're like me, and sharing your faith has been about your presentation skills, your ability to answer all the questions, your ability to fight through that awkward conversation. Is it because we've been trying to do it on effort and not being guided and led by the Spirit of God to these divine appointments? Scripture talks about how God draws, the Holy Spirit draws people. The Holy Spirit stirs people's affections. Every person you encounter is wrestling with questions and ideas, and the Holy Spirit wants to come not only inside of you, but alongside of you. And he wants to inconvenience your life in such a way that you will have God-ordained conversations that you may think are simple, and something from your story clicks with their story, and either you plant that seed or you're the one maybe that takes them that next step in their understanding of Jesus. But Philip's going to show us that when we follow the leading of the Spirit, it's not a nervous kid squeezing a candy bar. It's actually a gift and a pleasure. So let's look at Acts chapter 8, verse 26, or chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. But before you get there, here's what you need to know. Philip has just been a part of the ultimate kind of Easter Sunday service. 
If Philip was a speaker or an evangelist, he would have been on cloud nine because he just went to Samaria. Now, when you're following along in the New Testament, the Samaritans are considered half-breeds to the Jewish people. When God's people were exiled and some stayed back because they were not taken, they intermarried with non-Jewish people. So you may have a Jewish woman married a, a non-Jewish man or a, not a Jewish man married a non-Jewish woman. And, and, and the Jews that were you know, in a relationship between a, a male and female Jew looked at them as a half-breed. They did not like each other. There was a lot of tension. I know there was a big game yesterday, and you feel like you don't like people who wear a certain shade of blue. At one point, the Samaritans took dead human bones and put it in front of the Jewish temple because they knew they wouldn't be able to get in the door if they had to step over those bones. So until someone starts putting human carcasses in front of your door after a game, realize there is some more rivalries that are a little bit more intense. And they did not like each other. But the gospel is taking the world by storm. And Philip says, let's go. And then he's apart. And they go to Samaria. And, and it says that when he shared, people were filled with joy. People were paying attention. Think about that. And people were healed. Now, that's how I know it's from, a, from a, 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 an eyewitness perspective. Because he says the people were paying attention. People paying attention to a sermon was on the same level as a miracle of people being healed. Do you realize that? Just you guys locking in for a message was the same as somebody being able to give the ability to walk. And Philip says there was miracles. People were paying attention. There was great joy. And what do we love in church? Man, there was a big crowd. There was a lot of people. And yet here's what happens Scripture spends more time about this one conversation that we're going to look at than it does on the group. It very quickly, Luke says, yeah, there was a big crowd. Yes, some great things happened. Yes, people were healed. But let me tell you this story about one guy. And I think sometimes in church we miss it. We want the crowd and we miss the one person. And here's what happens. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. First thing to pick up on, we're not told whether it was an audible voice or not. So a lot of times in the book of Acts, I think over 50 times the Spirit is speaking. Many of those times the Spirit speaking kind of to the believer. They're not hearing an audible voice. We don't know whether or not it was in this particular case, but an angel of the Lord speaks to him and rise and go to the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now, here's what you need to know. By this point, there were two areas that were considered Gaza. Okay? The one had been destroyed in 93 B.C., and, and, it, and it had been just completely leveled, and it was a deserted, desert place. And the particular road that led to that area was deserted as well, because people wouldn't set up anything to sell. Um, you could travel on that road, but there would not be anywhere. So think about a road trip today. Imagine if you're on 95. There are certain exits where there's absolutely nothing, and then there's other exits where there's restaurants and shopping places and all sorts of stuff. There's outlets. And God's Spirit guides Philip and says, yeah, I know you know the busy one. I'm telling you to take the road that no one travels on. And I want you to go to the place that no one goes to. Now think about this from Philip's perspective. He's just been in the big crowd moment. He's riding high. And the Spirit says, now I want you to go to a place 
where it's, it's probably impossible for you to find somebody to preach to. Now, here's the other thing. It takes two full days for him to travel, and he most likely traveled on foot. So for you and I, sometimes the Holy Spirit's like, I want you to talk to that person. And you're like, God, they are two office doors down. Two. Philip is told to go to a place that no one goes to because there's nothing there. And by the way, I want you to walk for two days before you get there. So Philip heads to there, and in verse 27, and he arose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official that of the, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, here's what Luke is telling us. Luke is telling us why these two people would never meet. It's already a miracle to his original audience that, that two people would happen to be on this particular road. The road doesn't go anywhere. And once you get there, there's nothing on the road, and there's no, I mean, it's just a deserted, empty place. And, and God doesn't even say, hey, you'll meet somebody there. He just says, go. And Philip goes. And there is a man who is described as an Ethiopian eunuch, and he's a court official and a treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia. In that culture at that time for the Ethiopian kingdom, the son would be too busy because he was considered the God, the, the son of the son, like S-U-N. And so he didn't have time to run things, and so his mother would actually run things. And so all the finances were at her disposal, and this man is her right-hand person. This man is the treasurer. This man knows every account. This man has access to all of her wealth, all of her authority. He is a very educated, wealthy person. And here's what you need to know. In that culture, Ethiopia was considered the very end of the earth. Philip, whose claim to fame up to this point was that he worked at the first Chick-fil-A. And here's how I know that. Earlier in Acts, they decide we need people that can pray and teach, but we need someone to help wait on the, the, the orphans and the widows. And so the Holy Spirit, they prayed and the Holy Spirit guided them. And the first seven people to say, my pleasure, I made that part up, were given this job of serving the widows. And that was Philip's job. But Philip had a heart for evangelism. And so scripture says he began to share and he was doing some teaching and doing things like this. And so Philip is going to go meet this man. Now, Philip is not wealthy. Philip is not super educated. Philip comes from a small town and never in his life did he think he would meet someone from Ethiopia, from the end of the earth. He would never meet somebody there. And he meets this man who's from Ethiopia. Now, here's what else is interesting. The most commonly mentioned feature of Ethiopians in Jewish literature and Roman literature is their black skin. Their black skin was, it was amazing. Roman culture was just absolutely, they were just the, the Ethiopians to see someone with black skin. Never thought I'd see somebody from Ethiopia. Never thought I would see this black man. And then he's the queen's treasurer. He is extremely wealthy, extremely educated, and extremely powerful. Luke gives us another clue. He was a eunuch. A eunuch is a castrated man. And believe it or not, many times it was a voluntary position. 
And if you wanted to work at that high of a level, you had to fill out some forms with HR and have a minor surgery in order to serve there. Now, here's why that's a big deal. He's from the ends of the earth. He has different color skin. He's very educated. He's very powerful. But Philip knows that according to Deuteronomy 23, Jewish law excluded eunuchs from Israel. Many times being a eunuch was also part of a religious uh, proceeding. And God's word did not want God's people to neuter young boys. And so as a way to kind of keep people from doing that, they were told that they were excluded from many of the worship activities of the Jewish people. So again, let's review. Guy from the ends of the earth in a desert place that Philip would never go, who is way more educated than Philip, who has a totally different understanding of culture, who has a totally different understanding of life, who is wealthy, who is educated, but also knows that he excluded from Philip's religious practices. You could not find two people more different. And it goes even further. Most people walked everywhere. If you were pretty well-to-do, you would ride an animal. If you were the elite class, you would ride in a chariot. And Luke tells us this eunuch is in a chariot. He is giving you all of these clues to say these two people do not run in the same circles. These two people would never meet at a coffee shop. These two people would never have the same friends, never attend the same parties, never eat at the same restaurants. These two people would never meet. And yet the Spirit of God tells Philip where to go at the precise moment that these two would meet. Verse 28. And was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the Jewish law. Or he had sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, everybody would read at that time, if you were educated enough to read, you would read out loud. They did not teach people to read silently. So everyone would read out loud. And so Philip recognizes this man is reading, and he's reading out loud. And Philip knows, because he knows the scriptures, he knows immediately what this man is reading out of the prophet Isaiah. And so Philip says, there's my opportunity. If he asks a question about what he's reading, I am ready to go. Now let's just be honest. This is going to be an awkward conversation. It's not easy. We said that, right? Pastor Anthony and I usually meet every Sunday morning for a bagel and some coffee, and we talk about whoever's preaching, what their message is, we pray together, and we go to the same place. And there's two really nice ladies that, that work there, and they have two beautiful names that are very difficult to pronounce, and so I do not try to pronounce them. But my friend Pastor Anthony is a very hyper extrovert, <laughs> and he wants to pronounce their names. And the first lady said her name, and it was very beautiful, and I smiled and said, hey, we'll be praying for you, and we talked, and I know her dog's name is Forrest, so I talk about Forrest a lot, because I can say his name. And then she introduces her friend, and I will not butcher her name, but it's close to Satan, and my friend, Pastor Anthony, just went right in, and I knew it was going to happen, but there was no time to stop him, and he looked right at her, and he says, Satan! It's so great to meet you. And I said, Pastor Anthony, you just called on the devil. 
And she laughed and we laughed and now we both agreed to just smile and wave and say hello. But we're trying to make inroads. They know we're pastors. We're, we're trying to pray for their family. We're trying to get to know them. And awkward things happen. Now, I don't know that you're going to call anybody the devil, but I'm just showing you Pastor Anthony's one of the best guys I know. He's a pastor. And it's awkward. But here's what Philip does. And the Spirit said to Philip, look, the Spirit sent him there. But then the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. You don't do that in this culture. This guy would not travel by himself. He is traveling with lots of wealth. And so he has guards. He has people protecting him. And, and this, this lower class Philip guy should not have anything to do. And he walks to them because the Spirit tells him. So Philip, what does he do? He runs to him. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? Now that's going to be important. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And he goes on to read this passage. And this passage in Isaiah is about a servant who acts on behalf of God's people, and that servant suffers punishment for the sins of God's people, despite his innocence. Who does that sound like? Jesus. This is talking about Jesus. And in verse 34, And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? He wasn't asking that, like saying, oh, well, there's probably nothing. Let's go ahead and get baptized. No, he knew he couldn't be baptized. Jewish people practiced baptism before Jesus for ceremonial cleansing, if you were to become, if you were not born Jewish, you could become Jewish by being a proselyte, but two things had to happen if you were a man. You had to be circumcised, and you had to be baptized. Well, if you're a eunuch, you can't get past step one. So this guy is reading the Jewish scriptures about a Jewish Messiah. His heart is being stirred by the Spirit of God. And he says, I want this, but I know that I can't get past this to get there. What is it? Why is it? Why can't I get past this? But here's what Philip knew. Philip knew that this Messiah came and lived and died and resurrected and fulfilled every single bit of God's law. And by fulfilling the law, that barrier no longer applied. And baptism itself has taken on a whole new meaning. And in verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. That's an incredible story that without the Spirit of God would never happen. Philip would never have gone to a deserted city on a deserted road. He would have stayed with the crowd because that's our nature. We always think that God always just has to be working. And this is not to bash crowds, but, but he, he, he got alone. He obeyed the Spirit of God. And so there's two questions, and then we're going to pray. The first question the man asked is, how can I unless someone guides me? Here's what he's saying. Hey, there's a desire in me to know things about God. 
But what am I supposed to do if no one shares with me? And that's where you and I come in and that awkward little card that we're going to give you as a tool that invites people to Easter. But I don't want you to stop there. I pray that the Spirit of God would put you in such awkward, uncomfortable situations that you begin to share your story. And you begin to share God's story. And you can always invite people to church, but do you know that you can lead someone to the Lord just like any other person? Why? Because the Spirit of God is working and reaching. This whole week, we've been filming these videos for Easter about people's stories. And every story has had a phrase with, and then I met this person. Yeah, I met Jesus, but there's always a person attached to that story. You and I are meant to fill in that blank. So very quickly, how do we do that? The first thing is be sensitive. Now, I'm not saying be sensitive like get your feelings hurt, everybody gets a trophy. I don't mean that. I mean be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit, ready and willing to follow the Lord's prompting. My good friend Stacy and, and Scott, we get together and we're working through this book, and, and it talks about raising your sails. And that's simply a, a, a metaphor or an image to say, tell the Holy Spirit, you're in control wherever you want me to go today. You know I have to go to work. You know I got bills to pay. You know I got a family. But I want to be sensitive to where you're leading. Because if Philip was not listening to the Spirit, he's never going to this place. I want to encourage you to be sensitive to the Spirit. And simply, here's what that means. Waking up every morning and saying, Holy Spirit, you have a blank check in my life today. Where do you want me to go? Inconvenience my life today for the gospel. The second thing is this. Be available. Be available. Here's what Philip realized. This is God's thing, and I'm just a part of it. God is searching people out. God is working in people's hearts. God is stirring their affections. He just wants you to be available. He doesn't need you to have a, a real slick presentation. Spirit, lead me. Be available. And the last one is really simple, but not very easy. Be kind. And that seems kind of basic, but think about this. We need to earn the right to ask questions in people's lives. And we do this by listening to what they have to say, by showing interest, and by hearing them when they talk. Stacy, again, I'm going to use him as an example, went to lunch with him, and he knows everybody in the restaurant, like, detailed. Like, we walk in, and I'm like, I'm going to have the ham. He's like, Bill, is your son still playing soccer? Is he doing good? And I'm like, what's happening? What are we doing? He's like, Stacy, daughter, have a good prom? Ralph, Ralph, how you doing there, buddy? Is your golf game getting better? I'm like, Stacy, do you have a cheat sheet? Where, where, did you, where did you get people's information? What's he doing? He genuinely cares, but he's getting to know them. Because this idea of just walking up to somebody and saying, I'd like to introduce you to my friend. He's a Jewish carpenter. They're going to be like, who? What? Why? What is happening? Get to know people. Ask, their, ask questions. If you go to the same place for lunch weekly, maybe once a week, Take the time to look the person at the register in the eyes. Learn their name. Remember their name. Ask great questions. Remember that their kid had a, a ball game. And the next time you see them, ask how it went. You're not manipulating them. You're not trying to sell them something. 
You're opening their heart and mind, and the Holy Spirit is already working. And just know, if you're there, God is leading you and directing you. And again, this is like the big crowd of the Samaritans, and this is exciting, and this is fun, and I love Sunday morning, and I hope Easter is packed with people. But the gospel goes forth when you guys are inconvenienced and I'm inconvenienced to little places that we didn't think we'd end up. And why did my car have to get a flat tire? And now I'm at this place all day this afternoon and I'm stuck in the room with these people that I don't know. And maybe the Holy Spirit's saying, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. But you know what? They just, they just lost a child. And you know what that's like. Yeah, they just got a bad diagnosis. You know what that's like. Yeah, they're new in town. You know what that's like. Be sensitive. Be available. Be kind. The next question the guy asks is, what prevents me from being baptized? And I want to ask you that question today. What has prevented you from being baptized? I grew up in a church. I was baptized seven times before I was 12. Wish that was an exaggeration, but every time they had it, I thought I had missed it or lost it or something happened. So I'd sign up and they didn't have the heart to tell me no. So I was just always baptized. <laughs> now, maybe for you, you were baptized at a very young age and you don't remember it. And you say, you know what? Is it possible? Yes. But if you've never been baptized, I just want to get you to think about a few things. Why should I be baptized? The first reason is Jesus was baptized. And so by getting baptized, we're following his example. We are called to follow him. We are to be an apprentice of Jesus. And Jesus was baptized, so we're baptized. The second thing is Jesus commanded it. It's not just a good idea. It's a command. If you follow Jesus, he says you need to be baptized. The last one is baptism is your public declaration of faith in Jesus Christ. Baptism does not save you. In the same way, it's like a wedding ring. That's, that's a pretty good illustration. It's a public symbol of something that I have committed to. It's a very public act. In the first century, it might cost you your home, your job, your livelihood. But it's a public declaration. How am I to be baptized? Jesus was baptized by being immersed in water. And again, I'm not here to argue about uh, your background. Because depending on your background, maybe you were an infant, they did sprinkling. Maybe as an adult, they did sprinkling. This is not to say that one doesn't count and this one does. But North Park, we follow and believe that Jesus was baptized being immersed in water. In fact, the word baptized in Greek literally talks about to dip or immerse or to put under. Every baptism recorded in the Bible was done in water. It's the best way to depict Jesus' burial and resurrection. So very simply, you go down into the water like Jesus went into the grave. You come up out of the water like Jesus came out of the grave. Your new life. But it also, the water represents that cleansing that his blood and his power has done to remove and cleanse you of your sins. The last thing is this. Who should be baptized? Every person who's made the decision to believe in Christ should be baptized. Now, at North Park, we don't particularly put an age on baptism, but here's what we do encourage you. If your child would like to be baptized, we believe it's important that you have a conversation with them and that they understand that they have made Jesus Lord of their life. They don't have to be able to explain the Trinity. They don't have to go into deep detail, but that they know that this is their decision and not yours, and they have made Jesus Lord, and they want to go public with that faith. We would be glad to and celebrate the baptism of your child. But if you're here today as an adult or a child 
or anywhere in between. If you have not been baptized, the question is, what, what is preventing you? What is keeping you from making that decision? This coming Easter, we are going to celebrate baptism. And I can't think of an, a, a better day to celebrate baptism. We've got some great songs. Pastor Anthony's going to have a great message. But I think the greatest part of the service would be you going public with your faith. And whether it was a long time ago and you were a young kid or you've never been baptized, this would be a great Sunday. And in just a moment, Stephanie's going to come and share about how you can sign up to be baptized. It's important for you to know baptism is not what saves you. It's the perfect death, life, and work of Jesus Christ that saves you in believing in him. But it's an outward symbol. It's a public declaration. Jesus commanded it. Jesus gave us the example. And we would love for you to be baptized. So the two things we want you to do this week, if you have not been baptized, we want you to sign up to be baptized. And we want every person to take at least one invite card and commit to inviting at least one person. And I pray that on that day when you're stressed and you're inconvenienced and you're nervous and you're not sure what you know what to say, you stop yourself and in your mind you tell yourself, the Holy Spirit is inside of me and leading me and guiding me and can use my story to connect with their story and he is doing all the heavy lifting. He will guide you because he's a good God and he's faithful. As you came in today, you received communion elements. We're going to celebrate communion today. Do you have it with you? Sometimes we have you just take it on your own. Today, we're going to take it as a body. I think it's an important way to remember that we are all in this together. I think it's an important thing to remember that if you came in today tired and weary and broken, that Jesus once again breaks this bread and fills this cup and invites you to his table. Come all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. So I don't know what your week's been like. Maybe it's been the greatest week of your life or maybe it's been very difficult. But I want to invite you to serve or to be served by Jesus. I want to read this passage in Corinthians. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the Lord's body. It says, In the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. going to say a prayer. Um, and as we pray, we have folks that would love to pray with you that are going to be on these two sides. And if you need prayer, if you want to pray about anything, you're welcome. Also, if you want to come down to the front and pray on your own, you're more than welcome to. But if you'd like someone to, to maybe share that burden with and pray with on both sides today, there will be someone that would love to pray with you. Um, after we pray, the worship team is going to lead us in another song, and then we're going to be dismissed. Let's, let's pray together. Jesus, we love you so much. And Lord, I thank you that the gospel is so radical and so powerful that you stepped into a culture and to a world that said Ethiopia is on the other side of the world and, and wealthy people in chariots do not talk to peasants on foot and, and this man's skin is black and this man's skin is a different shade and these two people run in different circles and 
Jesus says, no, 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 no. What I've done breaks down social barriers, cultural barriers, religious barriers. All of those things fall because of the powerful work of Jesus. Lord, every person in this room can be a powerful evangelist of the gospel of Jesus Christ when we are led by the Spirit, when we wake up each day and say, all right, Holy Spirit, lead me and guide me. Lord, I pray that anybody in this room who is not baptized would join us for Easter Sunday to make that public declaration of what Jesus has done in their life. Lord, if anybody here today does not know you as Lord, I pray that they would meet with one of our prayer team members. And we would love to pray with them as they surrender and make you not just Savior, but also Lord of their life. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.